chapter number one, John chapter one, John chapter one, and we'll pick it up in verse number 19. We're going verse by verse in the gospel of John, John chapter one. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am enjoying the 50 some degree evenings. Anybody else? Oh, man, normally August is like the hottest. The last couple of years, August has not been great. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Now, look, this is Colorado. Next week, it could be 110. You have no idea. Uh, but let's enjoy it and be thankful for it while we've got it. John chapter 1, and uh, look at verse number 19. This is the record of John when the Jews sent uh, priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And I, I mentioned this last week. I'll say it again. Uh, oftentimes, one of the greatest way, uh, places to start when you're trying to figure out who am I? Like, why am I here? What is my purpose? Start with this. I'm not God. Right? He is, and so I need to get my direction from him versus me trying to play God and direct my entire life on my own. All right? He says, I am not the Christ, and we talked about what that name means. And they asked him, what then art thou, Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? I, I don't know. For me, sorry, you guys may not see it this way. I find this humorous. They're like, are you this guy? No. Are you this guy? Nah. <laughs> you know, and he finally confesses who he is. Uh, look, if you would, at uh, verse 22. And they said to him, Who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way that the Lord has said, the prophet Isaiah. Now, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, the question that's thrown out there. Who are you? And we talked about the fact that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, part of his title is Christ, and that means the anointed one. And we talked about how there are false Christs, and, and Jesus warned us about false Christs that would come in his name and would do uh, lying wonders and signs and, and, and miracles even. And they would say, well, I am the Christ. And he said, look, don't pay attention to those ones. They, they're, they're fake Christ. They're not the real one. I'm the Christ. I am the Christ of God. We went through all that. Uh, but what I want to point you, you back to, look at Luke chapter number four. Uh, when was it? Because every prophet and every priest and every king was anointed to their office. And, and Jesus Christ, listen, there are those in the scriptures that were potentially a prophet and a king. David is a great example of that. David is a prophet. He writes prophecies in the book of Psalms. Uh, David is also a king. All right. There are those, uh, uh, it says about Moses, uh, that he was a prophet. It also even calls him, you may not have caught this before, but it calls him a king uh, in, in one part of the Old Testament. So, so Moses is also a prophet and a king. There were those that were priests that were also prophets. But nobody outside of Jesus Christ fulfills prophet, priest, and king. He is the only one. He is the anointed or the Christ of God. So here's my question to you. If every time someone enters into their office, they are anointed, where was Jesus Christ anointed? And, and someone threw that question at me. The best answer that I could find is Luke chapter 4. Uh, so go there, Luke chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse uh, number 1. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan. He said, well, where did he just come from? Uh, uh, th this is, uh, well, we'll keep reading. And was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And there's this temptation that you read about here, all right? 
Uh, but what I want to, to point you to is the, uh, is, is, the, is the fact that later on, what you read about is Jesus Christ uh, uh, coming uh, to John the Baptist. Uh, go to John chapter 1. Go back to John 1. And you read about Jesus Christ going to John, and John says, I shouldn't be baptizing you. Uh, matter of fact, um, actually, go to Matthew. Sorry, guys. Go to Matthew chapter 4. Forgive me. We'll get to John 1 in a moment. Matthew chapter 4. Uh, Matthew and Luke run parallel to each other oftentimes. And uh, look, if you would, at uh, uh, Matthew, I said 4. Man, I'm, I'm a little bit, slow it down. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew 3. Uh, so look, if you would, at Matthew 3. And uh, look at, at verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So what, what you'll find out in the Gospels is this. Not every Gospel uh, records the exact same detail at the exact same time, but they all come together and they all complement each other. All right, so look, if you would, at verse 14. This is the same uh, thing that you're reading in John 1. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said to him, suffer it, be, uh, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteous, righteousness. Then he, suffer, th- then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him. Now watch this. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved what? All right, so what you have here is you've got the three in one in one place. You've got the Father speaking from heaven. You've got the Spirit of God coming down. And when the Spirit of God comes down, you, you need to understand that's important. Because what that is, is that's a picture of the anointing of, uh, for the ministry of Jesus Christ. Th- this is where really the beginning of the ministry of Christ takes place. So he gets baptized publicly. And when he does that, and by the way, I'm going to show you in a moment that the reason Jesus got baptized is not the same reason we get baptized today. Uh, clearly, he says here, it is to fulfill righteousness. And in other words, I'm, an, I'm setting an example, and we'll see why he set that example in a moment. Uh, but it's very clear, if baptism is to wash away your sins, uh, Jesus Christ wasted his time. Baptism's not for that. It never was about that. Uh, it, but it was a, an association with a message, all right? And we're going to see what message it is in just a moment that John the Baptist was associated with. But I want you to notice a couple of things. Number one, the Trinity. All right. Now, we use, the, we use that word, uh, the Trinity. The Bible word for it is Godhead. There are people today that are really trying to push away from that. And without going into too deep into it, the, the doctrine is called Arianism. And what that means is this, is that there is no such thing as a three in one. There's only one. All right. And, and, and because there's only one God, there could only be one person. And, and, and that kind of smacks in the face of reality for a couple of reasons. You are just one person, but you're a body. And when I look at Brother Eric. All I can see is the shell. I can see the body. All right. But he's got a soul and he's got a spirit. Just because I can't see that doesn't mean it's not there. Are you with me? All right. So the bodily manifestation of God is Jesus Christ. All right. But God, the father is speaking from heaven and Jesus is clearly on the earth getting baptized. And clearly it delineates the spirit of God uh, uh, descending down from heaven like a dove and lighting upon Jesus Christ. This this shows you, number one, that that the Godhead is a reality. Look at first John chapter number five, first John chapter five. The Godhead or the Trinity is a true Bible doctrine. Some people struggle with that. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there are some people that uh, would teach that Jesus Christ 
uh, is not God at all. But the Bible, uh, we've been through it over and over and over. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. It wasn't just he was manifest in the flesh. God was. And so we know Jesus Christ is God. Uh, the, the question is, well, what about the other two? Well, the Bible clearly says, look at 1 John chapter 5, uh, that they are in uh, unison one with another. 1 John 5, uh, look if you would at verse number uh, 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and we went through this before, that's another title, the eternal title to Jesus Christ is the Word, and not, not so much Son, because Son is when He's begotten on the earth. All right, so the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are what? One. One. All right? And, and so look at verse 9. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God, in reference to the three in one, all right, is greater. All right? So number one, you need to understand at the baptism that, that the three in one are there. Uh, but also, and, and really important to the subject that we're looking at, when the Spirit of God comes down on Jesus like that, what that is is that's God's uh, anointing on His Son. That is God's way of saying to those that are there, He's the Christ of God. He's the one you've been waiting for. He's the one to follow. All right? And the Bible says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So witness number one is John the Baptist himself. Witness number two is God the Father speaking from heaven. Witness number three is the Spirit of God descending from heaven like a dove. All right. So again, the anointing, if you will, the, the, uh, the commissioning of Jesus Christ to begin his public ministry starts at the baptism of John. So it's important what we're looking at. Learning about who John is and what his role was is critical because he's involved with the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, over time, what you see is this. Jesus starts out, nobody knows who he is. Uh, John the Baptist uh, starts out crying in the wilderness and so over time, what ends up happening is John begins to fade and Jesus's public ministry begins to take off. And we talked about that before where John says, I must decrease, he must increase, or I think I had that backwards, but you understand, he must increase, I must decrease. And the idea is this, is that when people are questioning John the Baptist, hey man, are you losing your touch? Are you losing your grip on the, on the multitudes? Are people going to quit following you and are they going to start following this Jesus guy? He goes, yes, that was the point. That's exactly why I came. And as a matter of fact, you know what I think of John the Baptist? Go go back to John chapter 1. When I look at the life of John the Baptist, you know what I think of? I think of one of the greatest pictures of uh, of what a a Christian should look at their life at. You should say to yourself, and you should see it this way, all that I'm here to do is to point people to Jesus Christ. My job should point people to Jesus Christ. My family should point people to Jesus Christ. The way I talk should point people to Jesus Christ. The way I interact with the community, all right, even in Denver traffic, amen, hallelujah, should point people to Jesus Christ. All right? uh, by the way, if you're going to give people the one-finger salute and honk the horn, take my church sticker off. All right? uh, I, I got some other church stickers if you want to put them on. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Uh, John, John chapter 1, the, the idea here is this, though. You are, you are stepping out of the way so that Jesus Christ can make the grand introduction. Now, let me say this. That's hard. Because generally speaking, we feel that our lives are about us. And my kids are mine, and my house is mine, and my car is mine, and my, you know, my, my ministry is mine. 
And, and what you have to come to grips with is this. You wouldn't be breathing right now if it wasn't for him. Your heart would not continue to tick as it does if it was not for the Lord. So, you, so God has given you what he's given you for the purpose of pointing others to Jesus Christ. It's not so for self-consumption. It's for you to be a minister to others, to point them to him. Look at John chapter 1, and, and look at how John describes himself in verse 23. He said, I am the voice of one. That's all I am. I'm just the voice of one. Now, let me say this. Uh, it's important that you learn to gain your identity, not based on what the world says your identity is, or what you feel your identity is, or your culture, or your family, or anything else. Here's the temptation when you get saved, all right? Uh, the Lord deals with you about anger, and you go, well, I'm Puerto Rican, and just, that's just the way we are. Right. Well, that's not, that's not biblically sound. Right. Well, I'm just a woman in 2022, so I feel this way. Okay, but that's not biblically sound. Well, I was raised, okay, I get all the reasons why you respond the way that you do, but at some point, I mean this as graciously as I can, you got to put your big boy and big girl pants on and go, you know what, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ now. I'm no longer going to first identify with whatever I identified with before. It's not about being black or white or Hispanic or Asian or, or male or female, because in Christ, that's secondary. <laughs> what, what it's supposed to be about is, I am here to bring glory and pleasure to my Savior and my Creator. Lord, how can I do that? Lord, if my response to, to others, if, if the way that I respond to my husband or my wife or my children or my parents, Lord, if that's not reflective of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that doesn't point people to you, God, would you help me to respond in a way where it does point others to you? Lord, if I struggle, I was texting with somebody this morning, I said, man, praying for... Uh, uh, a certain situation in their life, and and uh, matter of fact, I'll just tell you, uh, someone's moving here, and they're moving here from out of state, and they're moving here particularly to be involved in ministry and to be a blessing to our church. And I, I said, hey, I'm praying for your house to sell. And he said, man, we're trying to be patient. I wrote back and said, patience. Dot dot dot. Ain't nobody got time for it. <laughs> Isn't that how you feel? Uh, but, but at the same time, as we've been learning on Wednesday nights, uh, 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 being patient is one of the manifestations, long-suffering of the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. In other words, God, my life is not about me and how I feel and what I want and what I think and where I came from. God, if from now on, my life is about you. God, do you want me to respond that way? Then I will. God, would you want me to shut up right now? Then I will. Lord, would you want me to be kind right now, even though I don't want to be kind right now? Lord, I'll do that because that will point others to you. I don't like it, but it's right. Right? That, that's the idea. Uh, and I think that's what John the Baptist expresses for us. I mean, here he is at the height of his ministry. And right about the height of his ministry, the Lord shows up and he's like, well, I guess I'm done. Yeah. You did what you were supposed to do. Now get out of the way for the Lord to do his work. And that's the story of John the Baptist. Can I, can I point out to you that the way that John responds about who he is, listen to me, this is really, really critical in your life. The way that John responds about who he is is not like this. I'm a preacher. I'm a welder. I'm, I'm a recruiter. I'm an accountant. I'm a, you know what he says? He says, I'm the voice of one. Do you know why he says that? Because John found his identity in the word of God. If you don't know what I'm talking about, keep your hand here and go to Isaiah chapter 40. Go to the Old Testament to the left. Isaiah chapter number 40. 
Matthew happens to be the 40th book in your Bible. And, uh, and it just so happens that in Matthew uh, chapter 3, uh, in verse 3, the 40th book of your Bible, in Isaiah chapter 4, which Isaiah is called a mini Bible because there are 66 chapters in it. So in the 40th chapter of Isaiah, which correlates with the 40th book of your Bible, Matthew, and uh, in the third verse of this chapter, which correlates with the third chapter of Matthew, and then gold nugget after that, third verse, you read the same exact thing. What you find in Matthew 3, 3 is what you find in Isaiah 40, verse 3. And, and look what it says here. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. You, you mean to tell me the whole reason that I've been here? The reason that I, I had this ministry was really just to make way for somebody else? Yes. And, and when, when John is questioned about who he is, he doesn't go, well, I feel... Based on how things look right now, you know, here's another one. Single versus dating versus married. And look, I'm not against, you know, I like, you know, we have youth group, we have college and career. Um, but I kind of, I, I got to be honest with you, I don't want our church so splintered up that you have 47 groups. And you have 47 churches in one. And, and I, I, I got to tell you, to me, it seems a little bit off. I, I do understand the idea of a ladies' Bible study from time to time, have ladies teaching. That, that's good. But, but understand at the end of the day, if you continue to splinter off into all these different groups, eventually, here's the mentality. Unless you're like me, we just can't relate. That is the opposite of the gospel. Yeah. Right? The idea is old, young, black, white, rich, poor, male, female, doesn't matter. You've got the same struggles, and the same book provides the same answers for all. All right, so the, the idea is this, John's identity wasn't, I'm single, I'm married, I'm this. He just says, look, I'm the voice of one. Well, where did he get that from? He got that from the scriptures. Question this morning, where do you get your identity? We've got a generation that struggles with identity. And, and I don't just mean with gender, that's a huge issue right now, and I get that. But this thing's been brewing for a long time. When you, when you divorce young people from the idea of a creator, you divorce young people from the idea of, of absolute truth and right and wrong, uh, and, and really anything goes, people lose their identity. And, and I, I'll tell you, not just for the young people, but for all of us, if you're not careful, even as an adult, your identity will become your job. It, it'll become your job, or it'll become your family, it'll become something. Listen, I, yes, I love my, my family, my kids, but the moment that my family, let's say that we were to go in a direction that does not please God, we all have to put the brakes on and go, does this identify with Jesus Christ? Right. Now, the Bible says in Philippians uh, that only as it becometh the gospel of Christ, your conversation should be. In other words, your lifestyle, the way that you live should match the gospel. And so John, to me, is a great picture of that because he goes, you know what? When everyone's asking me who I am, here's my answer. I'm just the voice of one. I, I'm nobody, I'm nobody, that, I'm not that important, I'm just the voice of one. Yeah, you look and go, man, but what an important character in, in church history, and what an important character in the Bible, and all. yeah, but you know what John did? He sized himself up next to Jesus Christ, and when you do that, you go, it's not about me, it's about him. Right. Now, now, they asked him, look if you would at verse number 21, Are, art thou Elias? In other words, are you Elijah? Now, why are they asking that question? Uh, because I, I think the Old Testament uh, points to the idea that Elijah would be coming back. Uh, uh, matter of fact, if you were to go, and uh, won't, won't have you go there right now, but in the Old Testament, um, 
It talks about the two witnesses that would stand before the Lord of the earth. And then over there in Matthew 17, remember that Mount of Transfiguration? Jesus goes up there and, and there's, there's uh, Peter, James, and John. But the two men that show up there supernaturally standing next to Jesus are Moses and Elijah. Moses is a picture of the law and Elijah is a picture of the prophets. And then there's Jesus right in the middle because he represents the fulfillment of all of it coming together, right? And so you got Moses and Elijah showing up there. And then in Revelation chapter 11, you've got another reference to two witnesses that show up. Matter of fact, go go over there real quickly. Go to Revelation chapter 11. The Bible is a wild book. (laughs) And uh, when when people say the Bible is boring, it's because they've not read it. They've not gotten into it. It it might be they're not saved, so they don't have the author residing inside them. It might be that they're saved and they never had any Bible teaching, so they don't know how to look at it. Uh, maybe a number of things. But I can tell you this much. When you get saved and you start getting discipled, the Bible becomes alive. And there's things you thought, man, I, I thought this was a Hollywood thing. People coming back from the dead and they're trying to kill them and they can't be killed. And no matter what, they're shooting them and they just keep coming. I mean, th- this is stuff in the Bible. Hollywood has nothing on the Bible, guys, really, honestly. Uh, Revelation chapter 11, look if you would at verse uh, number three. And I will give power unto my two witnesses... And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. Now, if you don't, if you're taking notes this morning, I encourage you to do that in Sunday school. And whether you're writing this in a notebook or in the margin of your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to write these references down. Matthew chapter 17, 1 through 3, that's the Mount of Transfiguration. And that's where Moses and Elijah show up. Because we're looking at two witnesses. It doesn't name them right here, but we're going to learn who they are in just a moment. All right. The other place where two witnesses show up next to Jesus, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 3. Here's another one, Zechariah chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. Zechariah chapter 4, verses 11 through 14. And lastly, Psalm chapter 52, verse number 8. Psalm 52, verse 8. But look at verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their what? So they show up. These two witnesses show up again in the tribulation after we're gone out of here. They show up in the tribulation and their ministry is marked by miraculous events. All right, here's one of them. They can shoot fire out of their mouths. Who would like to see a movie like that, right? Bah, you know, sometimes, gentlemen, if, you're, you know, if your wife's not in a good mood in the morning, you may feel that she's shooting that at you, all right? All right, but be careful. <laughs> uh, but, but ultimately, here's what you got. You got some guys that shoot fire out of their mouths, right? Uh, and, and let me ask you this. Who called fire down from heaven in the Old Testament? Elijah. All right, let's keep reading. Look at verse number six. These have power to shut heaven. Uh, let me ask you this. Who, who, in, in, during whose ministry did it, did it not rain until God brought that little cloud that looked like a finger? Remember that? Whose ministry was that? Elijah. It was Elijah's ministry. And have power over waters to turn them to blood. Who did that in the Old Testament? Moses. And to smite the earth with all plagues. Remember the, the plagues in Egypt? That's Moses. As often as they will. All right, so again, it shows you who these two people are if you're just paying attention to the other references in Scripture. It's Moses and Elijah. So they were looking for these two to come back. So when John the Baptist shows up, they're like, hey, are you Elijah? You know what he says? No. 
Now, you know what's really curious about that? Look at Matthew chapter number uh, 11. Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter 11, and look, if you would, at verse number 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, why is Jesus saying that? The reason for that is this, is that John the Baptist does not go into the kingdom himself. He dies before that. Before the kingdom shows up, John dies. All right, so the Lord is trying to prepare them for what this kingdom is all about. Now, we're not going to do this this morning, but for those who are going through discipleship, you've learned this. The kingdom of God is a spiritual, uh, uh, supernatural kingdom that is within you. That's what it says in Luke 19. The kingdom of heaven, on the other hand, is a literal, physical kingdom with Jesus Christ reigning on the earth. All right, and so in the Gospel of Matthew that presents Jesus as the king of the children of Israel, it presents to us the idea of a literal physical kingdom coming back. John's message, we're going to see in a moment, was to point people to that kingdom. Now, I know what you're thinking, but they didn't have the kingdom in their day. You're right, but they had the opportunity to receive the kingdom. They rejected their Messiah, thus delaying the kingdom coming. It's going to come to Israel, not America, not Egypt. not Egypt. It's going to come to Israel because that's God's chosen people. But they delayed that by a couple thousand years, because they, but the Jewish leadership rejected their Messiah. Now, look, if you would, at verse number uh, 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, uh, there's a great cross-reference to this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 18. Here's the idea. The idea is the kingdom of heaven, when, God, when the literal physical kingdom of, uh, 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 from heaven comes down to this earth, how does it happen? Anybody want to take a guess? Anybody know what I'm talking about? At the end of the Great Tribulation, who comes back? Sunday school, classic answer, Jesus, right? Jesus comes back, right? And when he does, he comes on a white horse. And what is the first thing that he does? He fights a battle at the Battle of Armageddon. And when he does that, when he fights that battle, that is the, the beginning of the end of the Antichrist reign. And it's the beginning of the reign of Jesus Christ. And that's when the kingdom of heaven is put into place on this earth. That's why it says the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Because someday he's going to have to do that. Now, look at verse number 13. For all the prophets and law prophesied until John. Now, verse 14 is a real curious verse. Because he says this. And if you will receive it, this is who? Did they receive it? No, they didn't. So when, uh, when, it, when you're like, well, listen, the scripture contradicts itself because it says this is Elias. Well, there's a condition. That's why John, you know, when they're, when they're asking John, are you him? First off, I don't know that God would have revealed to John that he was to, to, uh, to take that place of Elias's ministry had they received their Messiah. I'm not sure about that God had revealed that to him. Maybe he just answered naturally and said no. But I can tell you this, on another hand, he's also right for saying no because they didn't receive him. Is that making sense? You guys with me? Cal looking at new fans. I'm getting a lot of those looks right now. All right. So the idea is this, is that uh, John the Baptist was paving the way and was making mention of the kingdom of heaven coming. And, and if they had received their message and their Messiah, John the Baptist would have served as the Elijah of their generation. All right. 
Uh, and there are a lot of parallels between the two. Now, they ask him another question. Go back to John chapter number 1. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And by the way, on the board, if we can get to it, we'll see if we have time to get to it. But on the board, I, I got a, a kind of a, a little bit of a, uh, a, little bit of a, a graph that kind of shows you the difference between John the Baptist's baptism and, and the baptism that we, that we exercise today. All right, John chapter 1, and look if you would at verse number 21. They asked him, Art thou Elias? And he said, I'm not. Art thou that prophet? Now, you may go, what does that mean? What? That, what, if I said, did you get that coffee? Which coffee? Did you see that person? <laughs> you know, like, wh- which person? When he says that prophet, uh, there's a, a particular thing to the Jewish people that they would have understood that that meant. Uh, matter of fact, go to Deuteronomy chapter number 18. Go back to the Old Testament to see what I'm talking about. And by the way, again, this is how you learn your Bible, by going by, to one passage and then going to another that's how you put this whole thing together. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, think of the Bible as a big puzzle. And uh, the way that it starts to become alive, number one, you've got to be saved. Number two, you've got to know how to rightly divide the Word of God. And as you take these puzzle pieces and put them together, it starts to make a whole lot more sense. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18 and look at verse number 17. The Lord said unto me, they have well spoken that which they have spoken. Now look at verse 18. I will raise them. Who's them? Now, first off, who's talking? That's God. God's talking. And he says them. He's talking about Israel. He's talking to Moses about the nation of Israel. I will raise them up a what? Did you notice in your Bible it's a capital P? You know why that is? Because it's a reference to someone in particular. It's not just any prophet. It's a particular prophet. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak in them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. You know who he's talking about? He's talking about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is prophet, he is priest, and he is king. So when they ask John, art thou that prophet? John knows exactly what they're talking about. You may not have, and without reading the Old Testament, that that question really wouldn't make a lot of sense. But the reason that they ask that, look at John chapter 6, all right? The reason that they ask that is because that is a a particular person that they're looking for, that they're waiting to see show up. All right, look at John chapter 6, just so I can show you that what I'm saying is not just connected to one verse of Scripture. Look at it in John chapter 6 and verse 14. This is after the miracle, the, the, uh, the loaves and the fishes, and thousands ate from that. Look at verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, underline it, that prophet. So in John chapter 1, verse uh, 21, when it says, Art thou that prophet? Th- this is again kind of confirming, yet yeah, Jesus is that prophet. John was not. And it says, uh, of a truth, uh, this is that prophet uh, that, that, that should come into the world. You say, well, who is this? this is Jesus Christ. Con- confirmation of the identity of Jesus Christ versus the identity of John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, look, I'm not Elijah. I- I'm not that prophet. If you want to know who I am, you've got to go into the book. If you want to know how I identify myself, it's not with my culture first. It's not even with being Jewish first. It's not with, with anything. It's not with the office that I've held, and, and this is a problem for all of us. You know, preachers have this problem as well. Well, if God takes away my ministry, what am I? You're still a child of God. 
Your identity is first and foremost, I'm in Christ. That's my first identity, right? Uh, And so, so John the Baptist is saying, look, I identify the way that God identifies me. Look at John chapter one. Can I ask you young people, do you identify that way? Do you identify the way that God identifies you? Because that's what's going to give you success in life. You want to talk to the older folks in this room, and you ought to every once in a while. You ought to walk up to someone that looks like me, looks old, the wrinkles are coming, the whites are coming out, and just go, hey, uh, can, can I ask you, what are some things you would do differently if you were my age? You know what some of them might say? I wouldn't care so much what people think. Because 20 years down the road, they're not around. I'm dealing with my own baggage from junk that they told me I should do. And I'm dealing with that to this day. I should have identified more with being a child of God than with all the foolishness in the world. Now, they would tell you that. And, and you know what? Let's be honest. As adults, we still struggle with that. You, you want to learn to identify yourself first and foremost with how God identifies you, not with how the world does or how your family does or even how you do first and foremost. Uh, look at John chapter 1. Let me move on from this thought. And I want to point out that after John says who it is that he is, there uh, we go, who it is that he says he is, uh, it lets you know who these guys were that were coming and asking the question. Now, the ones that were coming and asking the question, it doesn't say that they themselves were Pharisees, but it does say they were sent by the Pharisees. Now, look if you would at verse number 24. And they which were sent were of, in other words, the people that were questioning John, they were of the Pharisees, all right? Now, that means they were sent by them. They were, they were of that group, all right? And so, who are these people? Now, when you, when you hear the word fair, oftentimes, if you've been around the Bible or been out church any amount of time, and someone says, that person's a Pharisee, red flags go up and you go, that's, that's a bad thing, right? Well, why, why is it that we have the connotation that we do about the Pharisees? I want to explain who these people are. Now, you need to understand this. Back in that time, there are 400 uh, years of silence between Malachi and John the Baptist, all right? And during that time, let me, here's a great lesson. When God is silent, that doesn't mean you should lose your mind. In other words, it doesn't mean that you should start writing things and adding to what God said and changing how you live and re-identifying your... There are going to be moments of your life where God, you feel like God's not exactly showing you everything like he was at another point in your life. And the best thing to do in that moment is to be still rather than to do what a lot of people do, which is to start to move and make decisions and make things happen. You'll regret that. What happens as a result of God being silent for 400 years is two groups come to prominence, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All right. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you a dad joke. The Pharisees uh, believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. And that's why they were sad, you see. <laughs> Strike that. Can we edit that out? That's bad. That's so bad. Um, but, but all joking aside, these were the, the two opposing groups to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Can I point this out? It wasn't... Um, it wasn't the secular Roman world that was coming after Jesus first and foremost. It was religious people. Don't be surprised when you start living your life for Jesus Christ and he starts changing things in your life that it's not religious people that give you more of a hard time than people that are even lost. Um, so, so anyways, the, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. The Sadducees rejected any kind of oral tradition and they said, unless it's in the writings, then we won't accept it. The Pharisees, on the other hand, but here's what's weird. The Sadducees stuck to the written tradition, but they didn't believe in the resurrection. How can you read the Old Testament? Look at Daniel chapter 12. 
How can you read your Old Testament and in fullness and not believe in a resurrection? Uh, look, at, if, if nothing else, now look, we believe in the resurrection of the church, it's called the rapture, but that was a mystery that people didn't understand until Paul the apostle came along and the Lord revealed it unto him. But there was a general resurrection that the Bible calls of the dead, a resurrection of the dead. Look at Daniel chapter 12, and uh, uh, look if you would at verse number uh, 1. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people, that's Israel as a nation. And there shall be a time of trouble, that's the great tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation even that same time. And at that time thy people, Israel, shall be delivered, Revelation chapter 12. Everyone that shall be found written in the book, that's the Lamb's book of life. Verse 2, and many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Look, if you didn't believe in any other resurrection, you would at least have to believe in that one. So the Sadducees saying, we only believe in the, 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 the writings as they stand. We don't add to the word of God like the Pharisees do. But we also don't believe in a resurrection. They were messed up. The Pharisees, on the other hand, you know what they did? They said, well, the law says we got to do this. Let's make it tougher. <laughs> and so if you're not in my group and you can't trade my baseball cards with me, then you're not going to be a part of our group. Like, like you, if you don't do it like we do it, then you're not in, right? You know what? And you want to be real careful of that in church, all right? You, you don't want to be the kind of people that have your cliques and, you know, that's my spot, get out of my chair, and that, this is my clique, and you don't belong, and hey, that, that's, that, there's no place for that here, okay? What, what you want to do as a child of God is say, you know what? If you're searching for truth and we can be a blessing to you, praise God, you're in, <laughs> I mean, that, that's the idea. The Pharisees were all about taking it and going one step further. Well, the Bible says this, but let's make it harder. We can do it. Let's see if you can. Oh, you can't? <laughs> you must not love God. And so they would take it and they would add to the words of God and they, would, they had what they called oral tradition. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew 15. The Pharisees added all kinds of tradition to the law. And let me just say this. Tradition is okay as long as it doesn't cross the Scripture. Uh, we've got certain traditions in our family. There are certain things that we do. Um, I mean, you know, generally, Friday night, we try to make it a, a pizza movie night because, you know, Tuesday night, getting ready for church, sometimes counseling, sometimes meeting with people. Wednesday night's church. Thursday, you know, uh, uh, sometimes, again, doing things for church. And Friday, kind of rest a little bit. Saturday, getting ready for church. Sunday's church. And so Friday night, we have a tradition. We try to keep it, not always perfectly. I don't think the Lord looks down and goes, I hate that tradition. <laughs> it doesn't cross Scripture. You understand? If the, script, if, if the tradition you've got doesn't go against Scripture, man, there's nothing wrong with it. But when you make tradition equal to or above the Scriptures, then you've got a problem. Look at Matthew chapter 15. In other words, let me ask you this. Uh, someone says, why don't, you, uh, uh, why don't you have Palm Sunday? Now, if you want to have Palm Sunday, knock yourself out. You want to cut down palm leaves and do that? That's great. But if we didn't do it at church, Romans chapter 14, we have liberty to do it, not do it. And if you say, well, I can't go to a church that doesn't do that, you know what that is? You're putting tradition above the word of God. It doesn't say you have to do that. Uh, look, at, look at Matthew 15, verse 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were up Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Did you guys notice after COVID, everywhere you go, there's little stickers on mirrors going, wash your hands. And I'm just wondering, were you not doing that before COVID? 
God help you if you weren't. I mean, you should have been doing that. Like you're five years old, they're teaching this in kindergarten, wash, but you know, under hot water. I don't know why all of a sudden we all went back to kindergarten in 2020 and had to tell, it had to have scientists who go to school for eight years go, I don't know if you realize this, but you should be washing your hands. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, so, so here the Pharisees are all like, well, <gasps> your disciples didn't want, they are so, I can't believe what they're doing. And look how Jesus responds. But he answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? How, come you, how can you make your tradition higher than the commandments of God? So, so the issue with the Pharisees, and they're coming, listen, let me just, I'm going to throw this out there too. There are two ways, that's a nasty bump there, bud. Are you all right? going to make it? Oh, man, that's a rough one. Um, <laughs> there, there are, sorry, I just saw a little bump there. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are two reasons to ask a question. One is to show that you're trying, you have an agenda. And one is to get an answer from God. When the Pharisees come around and ask questions, Jesus deals with them really roughly. Have you noticed that? He's, he calls them whited sepulchers later on. He says, you're full of dead men's bones. And at the same time, a woman touches him and flees from the scene. He goes, hey, 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 don't run away. Come back. Let's talk. He sits down with publicans and sinners and he, he ministers to them. The woman caught in adultery. Now, maybe it's overdone for some people, but here's this woman caught in adultery, and he doesn't berate her. He just says, in other words, he, he says, you know what you've done. Go and sin no more. It was not a license to sin. He dealt with the sin. He addressed it. But did you notice how he dealt with the Pharisees in contrast? He was rough. I've learned this in ministry. When someone's broken, deal gently. But when someone comes in like this, oh, it's on. Let's go. Wait a minute. <laughs> Because if you don't do that, they will be a bully to everybody else within the church. And that's the Pharisaical spirit, which is why Jesus Christ dealt with them the way that he did. When the Pharisees show up, they're asking, listen, uh, I'm thankful this is not the case here. But I've been in some churches where it's like, you know, my great granddaddy built that pew. And I don't care what the Bible or the preacher say. This is my church and I'm going to die here. And I'm like, dude, die here, please, now. So we can go on and have real church, amen? Because that's a pharisaical spirit. It's all about me instead of it being about Jesus and others. And, 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 and so when the Pharisees show up, look at Matthew 22. When they show up to ask questions, Jesus Christ kind of deals with them a little bit roughly. And he's right to do it, guys, because their spirit was not one seeking truth. Look at Matthew 22 and look at verse number 23. The same day, now watch this. This is, shows you how these people operate. The same day came to him the Sadducees. Now, let me ask you a question. Do they believe in a resurrection? No, they don't. Look what it says. Which say there is no resurrection. And asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Every time I read this, my wife's like, please don't die. I don't want to marry your brother, you know. Uh, but uh, anyways, I'm kidding. It's a joke. We go way back. She's known my brother since she was 13. And, but here's what it says here. It says this. Uh, uh, in verse 25, now there were with us seven brethren. The first, when he had married a wife, deceased and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third. I'm not going to lie to you guys. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking this lady is the widow maker. And if I'm the next brother in line, I'm like, oh, you don't want me, lady. You don't want because I'd be scared to die. Right? But, but here these Sadducees come and they go, okay, what if this guy dies and then like, he marries, uh, and, and, and this guy dies, and his wife is still alive. She has to marry the brother. And then he dies on the way down through seven brothers. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? Time out. You guys don't even believe in the resurrection. Right. 
Why are you asking that unless you have an agenda? So, so, so again, and why, listen, we are all, all of us tend to think Pharisees are other people, right? I'm definitely not one of those guys. But there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. Where you got an agenda, where you kind of want, you know, kind of want to make a point, kind of want to show that you're better than somebody else. And, and so th- this is exactly where Jesus Christ goes, you know what? I'm not wasting any more time with you guys. I've said what I said, and he moves on. Now, now you understand, the reason that these guys were coming to John was not because they wanted the truth. They were picking a fight. They were picking a fight. And let me just say right now, you know what John said? Look, look, I'm going to tell you who I am, uh, and it's going to align with Scripture, and then I'm done. Uh, so when you read the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees said this and that, uh, that that's, a, that's a bunch that, for the most part, you don't want to be associated with, but can I give you a little bit of hope? Even Pharisees can get right with God. Look at John chapter 3. We're going to close here. John chapter 3. John chapter 3. The two primary, uh, primary opposing groups to the ministry of Jesus Christ were not the Romans. It was not the Gentile world. It wasn't lost, uh, generally speaking, the people that were outside of religious understanding. It was religious folks, right? Uh, so uh, think about that as you live out your life for Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, the, the opposition you're going to get in your life is no different than your Savior. Your Savior's opposition came from religious people. So is it really that strange if you're living a life for Him that you also experience that from time to time? All right? Um, where did I tell you to go? Uh, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Sorry, guys. This is what happens when you've been preaching for a long time. You get biblical amnesia, right? John chapter 3. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number 1. There was a man of the who? And what was his name? Now, I'm going to fast forward through uh, John 7 is another good one, but we're going to go past that. Look at John chapter 19, right up to the end when Jesus Christ dies on the cross. Look at John chapter 19, and look, if you would, at verse number 39. John 19, this is after Jesus is dead. He cries, it is finished in verse 30. Look at verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night. That's referencing what you just read in John 3. And look what he's doing. You know what he did the first time he met Jesus? He did it privately at night so nobody would know. This time, he, everyone in the community knows he's going to get the body. It's kind of hard to, to cover that you're going to get a body, a dead body. And he's going to anoint his body. You know what he's saying to himself? That Mary lady, I heard stories about her a couple days ago. She anointed his body. I should have been the one doing that. But here I am now. I'm going to make it right now. You know what that shows me? There's even hope for Pharisees. Because here's this guy who starts off with the wrong group. He meets Jesus Christ privately. And by the end of his life and the end of the last mention of him, what you have is a man who is publicly associating himself with Jesus Christ. You know what, you know what that is? That's me. I came to him privately, but I want to do it publicly now. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. And we'll... we'll uh, Start our 11 o'clock service at 11.10, shall we? All right. So 10 after 11, we'll meet back here, take a moment, go to the restroom, shake hands, get to know each other, fellowship a little bit. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open up the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you, you would have ministered to your people, Lord, that you would have spoken into their lives, Lord, that you would have given them something to, to chew on throughout the rest of the week, Lord, something to, to, to help not just inform them, Lord, but also to inspire, Lord, to stir them up, to further live the Christian life for you. And God, I pray that you'd help all of us, self-included. Lord, not to 
so much identify with any other thing, Lord, even nationality or culture first, but rather, Lord, the fact that I'm a child of God. Lord, would you help me to make, help me and all these that are here that are saved to make decisions based on that fact, Lord. And, and after I'm a child of God, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. And Lord, would you help me to make my decisions and to, make, and to have the right responses, all of it, based on your word. I love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for what the kids learned in junior church. Lord, we ask for your blessing on the next hour. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll take a break right there.